invite you to go ahead and turn in your Bible to John chapter 3. And uh, so, so two little things as we're getting started. Number one, it's Donna Benson's birthday, uh, so make sure you say happy birthday to her. Uh, number two, your prayers have enabled the TVs to work, so that was awesome. Like right after the welcome, Bill comes up, yeah, they work now. I'm like... It's just awesome, and we tried all morning, uh, but God answers prayer, and so uh, we thank you just for your prayers there. Uh, God answers prayer. So we're going to be in John chapter 3. Today we're starting a new series. Um, many of you know we've been talking about Hebrews. We are going to start a, Hebrew, a series in Hebrews. That'll be in January. Uh, wanted to just kind of wait on that, uh, and so what we're going to do is we're going to do a new series uh, to the end of the year, and it's called The Demands of Discipleship. And this, this series is kind of being inspired a little bit by um, a book that John Piper wrote. The title of that book what, is What Jesus Demands of the World. And in that book, he begins by looking at Matthew 28, you know, 18 to 20, the Great Commission, where Jesus calls us to go out and make disciples. And so then he says, well, how do we make disciples? And of course, it, when we go on, it says, by teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So Piper, in his book, he makes a really good uh, a point where he says, look, the point is not just to teach. You can teach a parrot to repeat the commands of Jesus. You can't teach a parrot to obey the commands of Jesus. And so in Matthew 28, it says, we are to teach them to observe all that Jesus has commanded. So the point of our teaching, the goal of our teaching, is for the sake of obedience. But even then, Obedience is not our ultimate goal, but rather it is the glory of God. In Matthew 5, uh, verse 16, we read this. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works, they might see your obedience, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So the ultimate uh, goal of our obedience is that God would be glorified through our obedience to Jesus Christ. I mean, just think about that. As Christians, our lives are to display the worth of Jesus Christ through our obedience. Did you know that? Did you know that through your obedience to, to this word, you display the worth of Jesus Christ to the glory of God? Now, the series title is called The Demands of Discipleship. And the problem is, is a lot of us, we don't like the word demand. We'd rather it say suggestions or something like that. Because we feel like the word demand feels harsh and strict and severe. And surely our King Jesus wouldn't speak like that. I mean, he wouldn't say things like, renounce all that you have in order to be my disciple. Or, you must take up your cross and follow me Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Or when the rich young ruler comes to him and he says, what must I do to have eternal life? And what does Jesus say? He looks him square in the face, go sell everything you have, and then come follow me. The thing is, Jesus does say harsh things. He does say demanding things. But here's the point. When we know who Jesus is, 
when we know that he's the son of God who has come to save us, come to bring forgiveness of our sins, come to adopt us into the family of God, come to make us citizens of his kingdom, his demands go from severe to sweet. And that's the point of the series. So as we walk through this series for the rest of, of this year, we're just going to be looking at many of the commands, not all of them, but many of the commands of Jesus. And as we understand who he is, these demands, well, yes, they might be hard in some ways, but they're sweet when we understand who our King Jesus is. I mean, even think about it. If we go back to Matthew 28, the Great Commission, where Jesus says, I have all authority in heaven and on earth, so therefore go make disciples. The reason Jesus makes demands is because he possesses all authority, right? But then what's the last line of that chapter? Jesus says, and I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus makes demands because he's also with us to help us and to strengthen us to obey all his commands. So there's, there's this, this, this harshness in a sense or this demand, but you see it's sweetness when you understand he's with us, encouraging us, strengthening us to obey all that he has called us to. So one more thing before we jump in. Now, this is true of every sermon series, but it feels like we should especially say it on the beginning of this sermon series, is that the point of this is that you and I, together, we would grow in our understanding of what are the demands of Jesus. What does he call you and I as disciples to do? But remember what Matthew 28 says, that we would teach others all that Jesus has commanded that they would observe them. So the point is, yes, that you would learn and that you would grow, so you would live more like Jesus. And... So you would take whatever we say in here and teach others. If this sermon series stops with you, then we're actually not being obedient to what Christ has said. So we need to understand that the point of this is that we learn and we see what are the commands of Jesus for the purpose of knowing, displaying them, and teaching others. So if your parents are teaching your children, if your, if your children, you're, you're praying for your parents in this way. We're, we're praying for our neighbors that we would teach them these truths. Our coworkers, the people that we run into on a regular basis, that we would teach them the truths of this word, that they would also believe in Jesus, live like this, so then they would do the same again and again, so that we would do the mission, make disciples who make disciples. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to go ahead and stand now. We're going to read John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Now, we stand here because we believe God's word comes with all of his authority, and we do so to honor him and to remind ourselves that this word is like no other. So here we go, John chapter 3, 1 through 8. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. 
The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you now. And we acknowledge that you are good and gracious. You have sent your son Jesus to this earth that we could be saved, that we could be born again. Lord, you possess all life. And through your son Jesus Christ, you give us eternal life. And we praise you for that. And I pray today that we would understand what it is to be born again. The joy that we have of being born again, being made new after the image of your son. Lord, I pray that everyone here, that we would rejoice in this truth. And that we would rejoice not only in it being true of ourselves, but in proclaiming this truth. That more and more people would also be born again, trusting in you. So Lord, be with us this morning as we study your word. In your name, Jesus, amen. You all may be seated. Uh, so we're going to start by just simply asking the question, who is Nicodemus? So we got this guy, he comes and he talks to Jesus, and in verse, uh, I jumped all over the place, um, so we're told that he is a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews, meaning he's a member of the Sanhedrin. Now the Sanhedrin consists of 71 men from influential priestly families, elders, scribes, and many uh, former priests that would still be alive. They, they had a wide range of powers that covered civil, criminal, and uh, religious matters. If we were to uh, equate them to like some other social elite group today, we might think of them uh, and compare them to like U.S. senators. That would be kind of the role, the, the prestige that they had. Now, as a Pharisee uh, and a ruler, he would be a teacher of the law, meaning of the Old Testament. He would be respected and revered by the public. The Pharisees considered themselves morally superior to others. They were set apart in their diligence of obeying God's word, which actually contributed to their then looking down upon other Jews and, of course, the Gentiles also. And so we see this guy. He comes to Jesus by night. And either he's trying to be unnoticed, or the word night, as it's used majority of the times in the book of John, refers to moral and spiritual darkness. So possibly he's coming in here to understand who this guy is, to size Jesus up. Maybe he wants to understand Jesus' agenda. Maybe he wants to bring him on the team of the Pharisees. He sees him as a threat. And so he says, well, let's figure out who this guy is. Let's minimize the threat. Let's bring him on so he won't mess up our Jewish system. Or maybe he does just really want to understand who Jesus is. There's many mixed ideas there. Nicodemus begins by saying in verse 2, Rabbi, which that would be rather strange for an older man to call a much younger man, which, we don't, which not much is known about Jesus at this moment, to call him rabbi. So, again, what is his true motive? We don't know. But he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, what I find next that happens is just really interesting. Jesus spends zero time talking about uh, signs and wonders. I mean, in fact, Jesus moves so quickly from what Nicodemus has said that it's almost as if he's saying, okay, yeah, but let's not get distracted on those things, Nicodemus. And I think that would just be a good instruction 
for the church today. Let's not get distracted by, by signs and wonders, by things that maybe seem miraculous or, or things that we hope are true. But let's come back and let's make sure we're always centered on God's word. Let's make sure we're centered on what is most essential, the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And so that, that's what Jesus does. And he, he responds by saying, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, throughout the book of John, Jesus will use the words truly, truly. And every time he uses that, that's to signify the importance of what he is about to say. Now, notice, nowhere in our text does Nicodemus have a single question about the kingdom of God. That's not really a problem. He understands what the kingdom of God is. In the broadest sense, the kingdom of God would simply refer to God's rule. And Jesus is saying, whatever it is to be born again, you got to be born again in order to see, to enter, to enjoy, to participate in the rule of God. But where does Nicodemus have questions at? He wants to understand, what do you mean by this being born again? In fact, I just find verse 4 really interesting. I mean, you could just imagine this conversation. Christina could imagine this conversation, Adiel's wife, and she's just giving birth. She's like, I ain't doing that again. And so Nicodemus is saying, what, am I supposed to like go back to my mother's womb? I mean, he totally misses it. And so, so what we see is that then Jesus repeats himself in verse 5, but slightly different wording. And he says, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So it appears that whatever this born again means, it's synonymous with being born of water and Spirit. So again, what does it mean to be born again, or what does it mean to be born of water and spirit? Well, this is where we can pause for a moment and just say, okay, according to the Bible, all of mankind faces a universal problem. We are all born spiritually dead. What that means is that we don't love God, we don't want God, we don't want to uh, uh, submit to his rule, we don't want to honor him, rather just as we saw In Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve rejected God, or in Romans 1, when Paul talks about it, rather than worshiping God, we would rather be worshiped. Rather than giving honor to God, we would rather be honored. This is what we see in Romans 3, 23. Paul says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Meaning every single one of us, we're sinners. We don't love God. We don't honor him. And so we understand that all of mankind is sinful. And so the Bible explains why the world is the way it is. In fact, if you, if you were in youth group this last week, many of our students, we talked about why is the world the way it is? It's because we're all sinful people. We're rejecting the rule of God, which is why when we're moving towards a new presidential election, technically whatever happens on November 3rd is not going to solve problems in the United States or anywhere else. It's not going to bring peace. It's not going to remove all division. It's not going to change anyone's hearts. We don't simply need better politics or leaders or laws, which those aren't bad. They're just not going to solve the ultimate problem. What we need, according to Scripture, is we need to be born again. So again, what does it mean to be born again? Well, just a little bit earlier in John, in John chapter 1, Jesus gives us a hint. So if you just turn back uh, in your Bibles, one or two pages, to John chapter 1, verse 12. Here we get a glimpse and an understanding of what it is to be born again. Jesus says this, or actually John says this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become 
children of God. So you believe in Jesus, you become a child of God. Then verse 13 clarifies. Who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So if you believe in Jesus, you become a child of God. Verse 13 then says that if you believe in Jesus and you're a child of God, that's what it is to be born again by the will of God. So what we understand is that to be born again is to believe in Jesus Christ. We're talking about salvation here. In fact, if you go back to chapter 3, verse 6, that's where uh, Jesus will say, that which is born of flesh and flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. We're all born of flesh. All of our, our first birth, what you've all experienced, what everyone has experienced if they're alive, is that we've been born. The problem is, it's only been a fleshly birth. We're spiritually dead. So Jesus is saying, we need to be born spiritually alive now, which is what Paul talks about in one of his other letters in Ephesians 2. Paul basically says in Ephesians 2, we're born dead in our trespasses, otherwise known as we're spiritual zombies. Like we're alive, we're moving, but we're dead spiritually. And then in verses 4 and 5 of Ephesians 2, Paul will say, but God, because he's rich in his mercy and his grace and his love, he makes us alive. So what Paul talks about being made alive is the same thing that Jesus talks about being born again. If we're going to enter the kingdom, if we're going to enjoy the rule of God, we must be born again, which is believing in Jesus. And if you remember those words, water and spirit, that Jesus also refers to, that refers to a passage back in the Old Testament. So what's happening here is nothing new. In fact, Jesus, in just a few more verses, will rebuke Nicodemus saying, how are you a teacher and you don't know these things? It's like this stuff was all in the Old Testament. Ezekiel 36, this is what it says. This is God speaking. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols i will cleanse you and i will give you a new spirit and a new heart a new spirit i will put within you and i will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and i will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules so the first truth we have here is that the new birth is necessary to be enjoyed, uh, to be saved and enjoy the kingdom of God. That's what we saw in the Old Testament. That's what Jesus has been saying. That's what Paul was saying. So here, all bachelors are unmarried. All triangles have three sides. All puppies are cute. All Christians are born again. Okay. There's no, there's no exemption from this truth. All Christians are born again. Nicodemus stands before Jesus as the most upright, morally good, prestigious person. He represents this moral group known as the Pharisees. And Jesus says, your knowledge, your status, your morals, they mean absolutely nothing if you're not born again. I mean, just think about that. Your house, your job, your income, your clothes, your car, your position, your popularity, your hobbies, your, your kids' sports, <laughs> your skills, they, they mean nothing apart from being born again and believing in Jesus Christ. This is what John MacArthur says. I, I thought it was really helpful. He says, 
Nicodemus has joined the ultra-religious Pharisees and even become a member of the Sanhedrin. And then he says, now Jesus calls him to forsake all of that and start over, to abandon the entire system of works righteousness in which he has placed his hope to realize that human effort was powerless to save. Do you hear that? So I mean, like, like Nicodemus is all in on this method. He's like, man, if I'm a part of the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, I do these things. I'm good to go. I'm a member of the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, none of that matters if you're not born again. It's like a punch to the gut because everything you and I do and everyone we know, we try to justify ourselves by our knowledge, our status, our morals, our accomplishments, and Jesus says, does not matter. Charles Spurgeon, pastor back in the 19th century, he said, ye may be rich or ye may be poor, but ye must be born again. Ye may be intelligent, ye may be educated, ye may be talented, but ye must you must be born again. Two things we need to get from there. One, we need to bring back the word ye. Right? I mean, it's like, how often do we not use that? Um, but no, it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, we must be born again. Here, the universal truth is that Nicodemus, that you and that I were born spiritually dead in our sins. And our greatest need is to be born again and to be forgiven of our sins to believe in Jesus Christ, to be made a child of God, and enter into the kingdom of God. So if that's our greatest need, then the question would be, how? Right? How do we be born again? So what we're going to see is that new birth is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Let me just think about this. This new birth is nothing that you can control. How much control did you have of your first birth? Now, Christina might argue a little bit. She's like, well, apparently he was more, she was more controlled than what, what we thought because it was delayed a few days. But in reality, the child has no control over the first birth. They didn't bring it about. They didn't start the whole system. And in fact, there is nothing we have control over our second birth either. If we didn't achieve or earn our first birth, we're not achieving or earning our second birth. In fact, the word again and born again is often translated from above in John and in other parts of the New Testament. So the words born again could actually refer to being born above, just simply showing this birth is not in your hands, but it comes from the gracious work of God. And so I have three passages I just simply want to read to you. I think they're in your bulletin, but I encourage you to go back, read them again. This first one, actually, I don't think made it. I added it later. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Now just think about what this says about your salvation. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. How were you born again? Because the Father caused us to be born again. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. This is where Paul's speaking, and he's saying, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness. We already see that. Nicodemus doesn't have a chance. You and I don't have a chance by our own works. But according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So the making new, the giving of life by the work of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 1, verse 13. We already looked at this one. Jesus already told us 
how we're born again. So if you go back those like one or two pages in your Bible, and we read John chapter 1, verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of what? But of God. Whose will? God's will. Because of sin, all humanity is destined for the wrath of God. This is why Jesus comes. This is the gospel. Jesus comes because you and I, we deserve the wrath of God. So God sends his son Jesus to come to this earth that he would live 30 plus years, where one day he would be taken, he'd be nailed to a cross, where he would then pay the price for your sins and my sins. He would absorb the wrath that you deserve, that I deserve, that Nicodemus deserves, that every single person deserves, and he would absorb that wrath. He would pay that price so that we could be saved, so that we could be born again. So, if, if our birth, our supernatural birth of the work of the Spirit is an act of God, how do we know if we're born again? Right? So how do we get born again? It's all by God's grace and His mercy through the supernatural work of His Spirit, which is all given to us by Jesus Christ who died on the cross. How do we know then? Well, let me give you two things. The new birth, here's the point. The point is the new birth is seen in the fruit that it produces. So what I want to do is just give you two fruit. If, two fruit? Doesn't really make sense. Two of the fruits. Give you two signs. I planned this all week, and that's what I came up with. Two fruit. <laughs> it's terrible. All right. So if, if, if you have these then you know that you're born again. If you don't have either one of these, then you're not born again. Okay, so this is, we're just going to walk through this. Number one, we believe in Jesus Christ. All those who are born again believe in Jesus. I mean, John chapter 1, 12, we've looked at this. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. They were born of God. John chapter 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John chapter 3, 18, I love this one. 16 gets a lot of uh, uh, popularity, but 18 is really good. In fact, chapter 3, verse 36 is really good. They're all good, but um, we should know more of them than just verse 16. This is what 18 says. I love this one. Whoever believes in him, in Jesus, is not condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned already. Remember, because we're born in our sins. We're already condemned. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. When we are born again, we see the beauty, the glory, the majesty of Jesus Christ. No longer do we say, he's only a good man. No longer do we, do we despise Jesus. No longer do we think a crucified Messiah is foolish. But we see the beauty, we see the joy, we see the glory in it. It's as though a fountain of joy in life has been placed inside of us and we're bursting forth and we go, we love King Jesus. It's as though we've gone from blindness to sight, from lameness to that fact that we can run. It's as though we've gone from a dead, bland, gray, dreadful world to a world full of color and sweet smells and beauty where glory is um, apparent from horizon to horizon. 
So the question is, do, do you love Jesus? If you love Jesus, you're born again. If you love Jesus, then you know he's the son of God who came to die on the cross to give you life. You're born again. This is, again, going back to Charles Spurgeon. He was quite helpful this week. He says, I just love this. I, I wish that we could just have the audio of this. But he says, do you feel that? Do you feel that now you love God? Now you speak to please, or you seek to please him. Now spiritual realities are realities in you. Now the blood of Jesus is your only trust. Now you desire to be made holy, even as God is holy. If there is such a new life as that in you, however feeble it may be, though it is only like the life of a newborn child, you are born again, and you may rejoice in that blessed fact. That is a good line. If you love Christ, if you come to the word and you say, this is my king, and you know you are saved not by works, not by your accomplishments, not by your status, not by anything that you do, and solely by the grace of Jesus, you are born again. That's fruit number one. Number two, we obey the commands of Jesus. We believe in him, and we want to live like him. We want to obey his commands. The proof that we believe in Jesus is we keep his commands. Now, don't miss this. Because you know this truth, and I know this truth, that there are many people who wear the Christian name tag, and they don't love Jesus, and they certainly do not live like Jesus, right? They're in the church, and they're certainly outside the church. There's many people that wear that name tag Christian. And they show up on Sundays, and they leave. They check the box, just as any Pharisee would. Well, I'm good. I've done my duty. I'm morally better than others. I've given my tithe. Well, they won't say it, maybe, quite so harshly like that. But that's the truth, Right? We know them. We've seen them. That's one of the reasons we preach the gospel every week in here. Not only for us who are saved to continue in our salvation, but because we know that every week there are going to be those who are here that do not know Christ. And they may have been gathering us for a long time. But if we love, if we are born again, we believe in Christ and we obey his words. Look back at John chapter 3 verse 8. It says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Look, you don't see the wind, but you see its effect. You hear it rustle through the leaves, and you kick up, um, or rustle through the trees, and it kicks up leaves. You hear it whistle through alleys around apartment buildings. You see the great evergreens that all surround us. They just dance. I love that. It's a little scary when I got them all behind my house, but they just dance in the wind. In fact, the last words that Jesus says to Nicodemus, John chapter 3, 21, whoever does what is true comes to the light. If you're in the light, you're doing what is true so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. He says, if you're in the light, you do the works of God. If you do the works of God, it's clear that you're in the light. In Matthew chapter 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, this is what Jesus says. Every healthy tree bears good fruit, but of the disease tree, but every disease tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear good bad fruit, and a diseased tree cannot bear good fruit. 
Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That makes sense, right? Like if you've got a messed up apple tree, it's going to produce messed up apples, right? doesn't matter what you do. You've got to change what's in the root. And so Jesus then says, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. If the fruit is good, the root is good. If the fruit is diseased, the root is diseased. Christianity is not simply a decision. It's not about walking an aisle, raising your hand, or filling out one of those really cool blue cards in front of you. It has nothing to do with the gospel. The gospel has, do you believe in Christ? Have you been made new? And do you want to live like Jesus? That's what Christianity is. It's about being transformed. It's about being made new. Remember, in Ezekiel 36, which we read earlier, God says in Ezekiel, I will place my spirit in you. Why? What is the role of the spirit? It not only cleanses, but it enables, it strengthens us so we would obey his commands. So anyone who has the spirit of God that does not love the word of God, it's like an oxymoron. It's like jumbo shrimp. Right? But we all know jumbo shrimp actually exists, but Christians that don't love the word of God are not Christians. We need to know that. Because he's saved us. He's given us his spirit in us. So if you say, well, I'm not a reader, that's great, but the spirit's in you, so you will read. Do you understand that? I mean, that is one of the excuses I hear more. I just don't read. Yeah, that's okay. Because when God saved you and made you alive, he put a desire and a hunger for this word. And this is the spiritual food that you need and that I need every single day. And what I've learned is that the more we feast upon it, the more we want to feast on it. And so if you're here today and you're saying, man, maybe you go back. This is what I love about Spurgeon. Maybe you are this. If there is such new life as that in you, however feeble it may be, and maybe it is feeble, let me just encourage you, the more you obey his word, the more you read his word, the more you pray, Father, help me to love and obey your word, you will grow in your spiritual appetite for God. You will grow in your joy. You will grow in your desire to love him, and you will display his worth in all that you say and all that you do. So if you're sitting here at this moment, you're going, all right, I get that I'm supposed to believe in Jesus, and I, get, and I get that I'm supposed to obey this word, and I know that I believe in Jesus, but I really just don't read the word that much, and okay, I, I get that I should want to, and I want to, and so you know, I am a Christian. You know this. The Spirit is in you that you would love him and pursue him through his word, never apart from the word, but through his word, and as you feast, you will and your love for God. So do not be discouraged where you're at this moment. Remember, remember the first thing we saw today. Jesus calls us to go make disciples, and what makes it so sweet is that he's with us. So he's in you, with you, through the power of his spirit, that you would be strengthened to know his word. So no matter what you're saying, I just don't know if I can read, I don't know if I can, or whatever it is, it's right. You're in a good spot because you can't. But there's one inside you that can, the spirit of God. Okay, I ask you, what is the fruit of your life? Are you reading God's word? Are you gathering with the church? I mean, if we say obedience is, is where we display the worth of Jesus, 
I mean, we're going to cover a lot of these commands over the next few weeks. We're not covering all of the commands of Jesus, but some of them. We'll know that we're called to love one another. We'll know that we're called to serve one another. We know that we're called to gather together as a church. We know that we're called to, to share the gospel. We know that we're called to be patient. We know, we know that we're to give generously, not just of money, but of our time, of our resources. If you're here today, and, and, and you hear this truth, that look, the only way you know that if you're born again is if you believe in Jesus and you love his word, and you're sitting here going, I haven't done that. I know that's not true in my life. Then I just encourage you, just today, to believe. To believe in Christ now. And you say, but wait, if, if being born of the Spirit's a work of God, how do I know? Like, how, how is it that I bring that about? Well, trust me, if, if you're desiring to, to believe in Christ, and he's working that in you right now. So I encourage you to believe in Jesus. To believe that he paid the full price of your sins at the cross so you could be saved, forgiven, justified, so you will see and enter. You will participate in the kingdom of God. You will know that on that glorious day when Jesus returns, no, he will gather you with him to be with, with him and the bride for all of eternity. So I want to close and, and read just uh, a story that was in um, one of the commentaries that I was reading. Uh, a guy named Richard Phillips uh, included this in his commentary. And this is just a beautiful picture of the new birth. So, so this Richard Phillips wrote in his commentary about a guy named Tom Papania. I think I said that right. You may have heard of this guy. Um, his grandfather was one of the original mobsters who brought the, Amer brought the mafia to America from Sicily. Tom's upbringing was totally savage, and at age 10, he vowed he would never shed a tear again in his life. He grew up as a thief, an extortionist, and a murderer. His heart was so cold that even hardened criminals found it hard to look into his eyes, seeing nothing but death. But God began to speak to Tom's heart. Though he tried not to listen, he felt convicted about many of his evil deeds. But wanting to rob God of the punish, uh, uh, rob God of the chance to punish him with death, he decided he would do that himself. So he took a gun and he was going to pull the, tr and he put it to his head, was about to pull the trigger, and then the phone rang. And it was a man who had kept inviting him to church. And so he places the gun down and he says, you know, just to prove this man wrong and that God is wrong, I will go to this man's church. And so he goes and when the service was over, the minister greeted him at the back door and he said, I have something to say to you. He says, I don't want to offend you, but the eyes are the, wind the, eyes are the window of the soul. And when you first came in here, I looked into your eyes he says, all I could see was a little boy crying, wanting to be loved. So the pastor, he exposes Tom's biggest secret. So, so Tom is angry. He goes home and he decides, I'm going to go back and I'm going to murder this pastor tonight. But to his amazement, he couldn't go through with it. He ends up talking to the minister. And the minister tells him, you need to believe in Jesus. You need to be born again. And Tom says, he laughed. He said, Pastor, if these people in this church knew who I was, they would throw me out and you out for talking to me. I am probably the biggest sinner you will ever meet if you've lived to be a million years old. He said, these people, pointing to a church like us, he says, you don't want me. He went on to recount his crimes, and before he knows it, 
He's on his knees confessing this, his sins to God, opening the door of his heart to let Jesus in. And he says, I have found Jesus. I've been searching for him all my heart, all my life, and now I have found him. I will never let him go. He goes on to be a prison evangelist. His life was absolutely changed by the grace of God. And yours and my story, if you've been born again, it's no different than his. It's no different. We all are sinners, and we all have our own crime sheet, whatever it is, all deserving the full wrath of God. But God's grace makes us alive, gives us new birth. Believe in Jesus, and let us obey his word. Let's pray, and we'll take communion. Our Father.